God intends for you to flourish. Amen. Uh, he designed us to flourish. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to make you flourish. I guess I added that. That's the Ron Johnson version of the Jeremiah. It fit my message better. Um, I am Ron. I live two miles down the road here in Atherton. Um, I'm not a New Testament author. I'm a dad, I'm a volunteer, and I am a business guy. Um, and it's really great to be here. And I'm just going to share with you a few lessons from my life, and hopefully they'll be somewhat meaningful. Just a little about me. I've been incredibly blessed. Like these young kids today, I grew up in a loving Christian family uh, outside of Minneapolis. The greatest gift my parents gave me was this abiding faith uh, in Jesus Christ. I went to church just like these little guys. Um, and then my parents taught me to have this deep trust that God is good and goodness always triumphs. And that's been a part of my spirit for as long as I remember. And I consider that gift to be the greatest gift my parents gave to me was my faith. And it's something I try to give to my two kids, Elizabeth and Will. I had a chance to go to great schools. I actually went to the farm down here at Stanford back in 1980. I traded that for a little ivy and went to Harvard Business School and graduated from there in 1984. But I've been, you know, kind of known for the work I do, you know, and I've worked really hard in my life, but I've been very lucky. I joined Target at the right time, spent 15 years there. Um, during my time at Target, the stock went up like 12 times. It became this great company. And then I went to Apple, and I picked Apple at the right time. You know, I spent 12 years on the executive team at Apple, as Herman said, reporting to Steve. Um, and I got to kind of conceive and lead the Apple stores for its first dozen years. Um, after that, I went to JCPenney. I spent two years, and it didn't go very well. <laughs> you probably heard about that. I'll tell you about it. It was a great gift to me. I'll tell you about that. And now I lead a startup called Enjoy, and it's too, too early to know how it'll turn out, but we are off to a good start. Now, as most people would look at my business career, they'd say, Ron has flourished. You know, what makes me most proud is what I've learned on how to help my teams flourish and how I've learned to take my faith and connect it with the marketplace. So let's start. What does it mean to flourish? You know, in business, we think of profits and performance and delivering results. But I was taught that in life, flourishing means you experience joy. It's that deep-seated feeling that your life matters, that has meaning. It's never about happy. Happiness is fleeting. I remember I was with my dad when he passed away, and... I was really sad. Now, he was 87. He had lived a long life, praise the Lord. But I was really sad. But I was so joyful for the love that he had poured out on me through all those years. Joy is a condition of life. It's a condition of our spirits. When I think about my teams at work, I've got a very simple goal. How do I let them experience joy every day so they can deliver joy in return? That's what I try to do at work. It's also my dream for my kids, my wife, for each of you. 
So I'm just going to share a few lessons that I've learned along the way that hopefully will help you think differently about how do you flourish. Um, now, if you don't work, you can still pay attention because I've learned that some of these lessons will apply at home. They'll apply at church. They'll apply to your life. You ready for number one? At the beauty of a garden. A little over two decades ago, I was in my 10th year at Target. I was 34 years old. I had a large responsibility for someone my age. But I began to feel like my team didn't love to work with me. It just didn't feel right about all my relationships. And I had this gnawing sense that God wasn't really happy with how I led people as well. And I was on a business trip to Singapore and I picked up this book by Marianne Williamson called A Return to Love. And I was reading the book, you know, it was high up in the air, the middle of the night, and I read this quote, we're all assigned of the peace of the garden that is ours to transform. Our garden is our own lives, our families, our friends, our colleagues at work, exactly where we find them. And every interaction is an opportunity to teach love. The next morning, I woke up early, and Singapore's famous for its botanical garden. And I used to be a runner, and I went to run. And I got struck by the quote, and then I'm in the middle of one of the most beautiful gardens I've ever seen. And I, I recognized that the challenge I had at work was I was leading by the disciplines I learned at Harvard Business School and not the principles that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. I asked myself, what if I approached my work at Target as a gardener and not as a manager? What would that look like? Rather than tending plants every day, I would tend people. And if you think of a beautiful garden, the most beautiful gardens are really diverse. There's all types of plants, right? But a garden doesn't look great unless every plant is at its best. I realized I had to pay better attention to my plants at work and help them flourish. So rather than asking people, have you tried this, I changed the question to, how can I help? Rather than asking them to do what I wanted them to do, I gave them the freedom to do what they believed was right. When they needed water, I poured it on. When they needed sunlight, I brightened their day with hope and encouragement. I let that spirit my parents and God gave me shine through. I led from the heart, not from the mind I was taught at business school. And flourish they did. You know, at Target, they used to measure everybody by all these goals, and you had these goals for the year. Over the next three years, every member of my team made every single goal Target could give to them. That's how well we flourished. And I learned this powerful lesson that as an individual, as a leader, as a parent, you're limited. With your team, you're unlimited. And your job is to secure the good of others. Dallas Willard, who many of you have read or heard about, had a definition for love, has a definition. He says, love is to secure the good of others. And what each have a longing and intention to secure their good every day. And as we secure the good of others, it provides refreshment for our soul. When you treat people well, it provides refreshment for your soul. You know, God loves gardens. You know, he gave one to Adam and Eve. He gave one to me. He gave one to each of you. We each have a garden to tent. 
It's our own lives exactly where they are. It's our families, our friends, our loved ones, our colleagues at work. I challenge you to test, tend them well. Let them flourish. Lesson number two. The power of your imagination. While I was learning to garden at Target, I was in my fourth year of Bible Study Fellowship. Bible Study Fellowship is an international program where you go every week and you read the whole Bible and you meet with a group. I was with a group of 500 in Minneapolis at the time. And you'd study, we studied that fourth year Genesis for the whole year, the whole year on one book. I learned a lot about God that year. I learned how awesome God is, but the most important thing I learned is he is a creator. We know this. On the first day he created day and night. The sixth day he created us. But he didn't just create us, he created us in what? His image, right? So it struck me if God's greatest gift is that he's a creator and he created me in his image, he created me to create Right? At that time now, I had uh, two young kids. Lizzie and Will were probably two and four. And I spent a lot of time with them. And I was struck by how they used their imagination. As if, you know, we hadn't filled up their mind with knowledge yet. It was just an empty space. And rather than trying to think, they just created. They just imagined. And I wondered what happened to that empty space in my mind. I think I'd filled it up with lots of stuff, lots of knowledge, lots of ideas, lots of stuff. You know, in business, you're trained to look out. What is my competition doing? God wants us to look in. He wants us to look in and connect our mind with that spirit he gave us. He wants us to look in our souls and imagine a better way. A month later, I was in London. I used to travel a lot for work. And I was walking through a little town called Chelsea. I remember looking in the window of a store and I saw this beautiful tea kettle. And I thought, boy, God must love that tea kettle. It makes me smile. Kind of like a sunrise, like the light coming through the window here. It's really beautiful. And I remember asking myself a question. You know, I was in charge of merchandise at Target, you know, what we carry in the store. I said, I wonder why good design has to be so expensive. You know, the really beautiful things you'd find in these high-end stores, but it's really hard for all of us and everyday people to afford good design. I said, what if Target could deliver great design and in the process uplift the spirits of people? And that led me to a guy named Michael Graves. Michael Graves actually designed that tea kettle. And I asked him if he'd like to design for Target. To my surprise, he said he'd love to because all the students he taught at Princeton couldn't afford his products, you know? So that led us to launch what was the first design partnership in retail. You hear a lot about that today. But we didn't do one item, we did over 100. And this collection of products, if you look through the history books, single-handedly changed Target. And that's when, as Herman said, everyone started to think of it as Target. And, but it didn't come from a complex business strategy. That wasn't the idea. It was from the simple desire to lift the spirits of the customers when they got to their homes. It came from this knowledge that God created each of us to create. 
And God wants each of us to use our imagination every day to create a better world. So isn't it interesting? The target we know and love today had its genesis in Genesis. It's pretty incredible to contemplate. Now, what if your home had its genesis in Genesis? What if you looked inside and rediscovered that empty space? What if you listened to your hearts and you imagined a better way for you and your loved ones to create a home? What if you created a new paradigm for your family? It's interesting. It worked at Target. I received quite a bit of attention from my time at Target, and that led Steve Jobs to reach out to me to see if I'd like to design a retail strategy for Apple. In 2000, against everybody's advice, I left what was one of the most popular companies in the world to join a struggling computer maker in Cupertino, which led to lesson number three. For me, lesson number three, are you guys okay? You, you paying attention? I don't hear a lot of amens like you said to Herman. <laughs> I hear an amen. Thank you, there we go. Lesson number three, you have a lot more, you have a lot more practice. Uh, lesson number three, love made visual. Steve was the best leader I've ever had the privilege to serve. He actually was the best delegator I ever worked for. People don't believe that, but he was an unbelievably great delegator. I recall when he offered me the job, he said, you've probably forgot more about retail than I care to know, and so I trust you to do the stores. And he let me set up a small group about three miles from campus, and he said, my job is simply to help you take your best ideas and make them even better. Steve may not have known it, but he was a master gardener. Founding the Apple stores with Steve was an incredible gift for me. I had used my imagination at Target, and now I got to turn it up a notch. And when I had ideas, I could probably share them with someone who was better at imagining than perhaps anybody in the business world. Another strength of Steve's was he knew how to take what was very complicated and make it really simple, right? He told me once, if you, thought, if you think hard enough about any problem, you really think deeply, you'll be able to get that idea, that problem down to something you can communicate in four words. Three would be better. <laughs> Anybody remember when the iPod was launched? What did Steve call it? A thousand songs in your pocket. Remember that? It was all your music in your pocket. And that was when we had almost had records. The idea of putting <laughs> records in your pocket was not a good idea. And that was, as I began my professional journey at Apple, I was also moving along on my personal journey with my faith, and I'd read the Bible, so I took Steve's challenge of, you know, if you can take something really complicated and get to its core and communicate in four words or less, how would you do that? I started to contemplate, what if I had to communicate the Bible in four words? How would you do that? Well, when you think of a big book, you kind of go for the punchline. And the punchlines that I went to were John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave us only begotten Son, so we'd have eternal life. I went to Luke 10. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. As I thought about it, I did really good. I got it down to one word. What is the Bible about? Love. If you had another one, if you had that one more, it'd be probably others. Love others. You know? That was really important to me. So as I began to imagine the Apple stores, I asked the question, what if you could build a store based on love? What if the mission of a store was to love others? How would you do that? Well, I got kind of excited about that, but I thought it'd be a little kooky to go to Steve, and I said, I got the mission for the Apple stores. <laughs> I'm going to sit next to Tim, at, Tim Cook at the ET and say, we're going to love others. So what I think is a good practice when you're working with people who aren't Christians is to put things in their words. And so we designed the retail stores to enrich lives. We're going to enrich the lives of our employees so they can enrich the lives of our customers. When I Steve told, told Steve we're going to enrich lives, he said, in his own world, his own words, amen. <laughs> I don't think he said that. But he said, that's what we design our products to do. That seems like a fitting goal for the stores. So then how do you love somebody in a store? That was our challenge. So we came up with a list, and it led to a lot of unusual things. Like, let's locate our stores where people live their lives. So they only have to go 10 feet out of their way instead of drive 10 miles. And we put these computer stores in shopping malls, which people thought was crazy. But convenience is a way to help somebody. What if we hired smart, interesting people but set them on a mission to serve others versus placing them on a commission to sell merchandise? What if we had them look in people's hearts instead of their handbags? That's how you'd love someone in a store. What if you took service? You know, when you sell something, you don't like to let people know it might break. But what if we just were honest and celebrated that and put something in the back of the store, a place to get help? And what if we called it a genius bar? And rather than dispensing alcohol, we dispense advice. And we do it for free. And what if we created jobs that you wanted to have? You could be the smartest Mac person in your city, and you're so trained and smart, we're going to call you a genius. And we created Mac geniuses. You know, these ideas seemed really good in Cupertino, but when we told people we were going to do this, they thought we were crazy. Steve and I took lots of press and analysts on a tour of our first store, and I, my favorite quote was, I give them two years before they turn the lights out on a painful experiment. But with Steve's support, we built those stores exactly as we dreamed, and they became the most productive retail stores ever created. What does it say? Love works. God's plan for the world, when applied to the marketplace, works really well as well. Wouldn't it be amazing if every business person woke up every day asking how they could love others through their work? What if each of us woke up every day? How do we enrich the lives of our kids? Not worry about ourselves, worry about our kids. What if we made love visual in our homes? I wonder what that would look like. I think it'd make a big difference. It took a struggling computer maker to become the most valuable company in the world. Make love visual. Lesson four. Do we get an amen after that? Thank you. There you go. 
Lesson number four. Uh, some people have to ask for it. Some people get it as a gift. Lesson number four, Pulitiers. Pulitiers. Uh, after my time at Apple in 2011, I was announced as the 10th CEO of the JCPenney company. Many of you probably shopped there at some point in your life. After a dozen years at Apple, I was ready for a challenge, and I wanted one. My work had become kind of easy. Now, I took on this challenge all alone. Steve didn't want me to do it. None of my mentors did. My family didn't. Nobody wanted me to do it, but I wanted to, so I did it. And it started out okay. The day I was announced, the stock went up like a billion dollars in market value. You know, this retail wonder boy from Apple was going to take over a hundred-year-old department store and make it great. It was a great story. Um, in typical Ron fashion, I went big, you know. I trusted my instincts. Twelve weeks after I arrived, I invited 3,000 people to New York and gave them the vision for what we're going to do at JCPenney. And now the stock was up $3 billion. It had gone up 75% in the 12 weeks or so, plus a little time that I'd been there. Life was good. Everyone seemed excited. We began to change JCPenney. We changed everything. Our pricing, we began to change our merchandise. We changed our identity to JCP. Why are you laughing? Jesus Christ Place sounds like a good name. And we began to remodel our stores. The first month was tough. Our sales dropped 15, 19%. We had planned them to go down because we took away all the coupons and all the promotion. You remember that, don't you? But we did that so you could shop every day and get a great price. Yeah, so you didn't have to shop on our terms. It didn't bother me that sales went down, but it sure bothered everybody else. Right? Uh, after just a few months there, it was like all the skeptics ruled. I told everyone it would take four years to turn around the company. Our sales would go down for a year. But then after a year of not promoting, they'd start to grow again. But they wanted to go back to the old model. Change is hard. It's hard in our personal lives. We're trying to change. We want to go back to the old model. Sometimes it works, most of the time it doesn't. I discovered not only was I my own at JC, going to JCPenney, I was on my own at JCPenney. Within a few short months, all my glory had turned to grief. Except for a handful of people I brought with me, nobody supported me. The board abandoned me. The JCPenney team that never wanted to change abandoned me. The media turned on me. My friends treated me like I was at my own funeral. You know, except for family and friends, I had no support. I was alone. All I had was my own little pool of tears. It was the darkest time in my life, my career. But I think each of us has a pool of tears that sit beside us, don't we? It could be an illness. It could be a broken relationship. It could be a decision we made that just didn't, can't get over could be a deadly sin we can't shake. We all have a pool of tears. I just had a real public pool of tears. It was kind of like the Pacific Ocean of tears. And it was salty. <laughs> but in short order, it became very clear to me that my dream to turn around JCPenney was not likely to work.
It's hard to change a company that doesn't want to change. It's hard to innovate in a place that is more comfortable standing pat, and I'm not being critical, it's just kind of the nature of some people. But for the first time, I found myself as a round peg in a square hole. I was a misfit every day at JCPenney. And I started to look in the mirror and I thought, you know, I'm really not that pretty. You guys already knew that, just watching me for a little bit. But I thought, maybe I'm not that smart. Perhaps I'm not gifted. Maybe I was just lucky to get into Stanford. Maybe I picked Target at the right time. Maybe the Apple stores weren't that great. We just had really good products, which is probably, there's a lot of truth to that. But my self-confidence, my self-esteem were kind of shaken to the bone. But, remember I started with, I had this abiding faith, that gift from my parents. So rather than swimming in my pool of tears, I turned them to God. I splashed them in his lap and I said, nourish me. And for the first time in my life, I discovered the gift of solitude. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was being alone being quiet. But solitude is daring to stand in the presence of God and see yourself as he or she sees you. Now it was easy for me to practice solitude. I had lots of time by myself because J.C. Penney's based in Dallas. I lived here. I would just go to the hotel room every night and practice solitude. I couldn't go online because Everything was negative about me. I couldn't even watch TV because Jim Cramer and CNBC just loved to pick on me. I mean, I went from, you know, the year before being the world's greatest merchant to the world's worst CEO. Now, that's not very fun to listen to, knowing that most people are listening to that. I couldn't even go out to dinner in Dallas because everybody recognized me from my picture. So I stayed home every night. In my aloneness, I discovered the grace of God. I had this empty space, not in my mind now to imagine, but in my soul for God to enter, and he did. You will weep and mourn, but your pain will turn to joy. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And that was good. It's funny, you always, you always say amen to these things that God wrote. Hallelujah. But also, in the Ron version, plans to make you flourish. I discovered as I made God the center of my life, my sense of self wasn't dependent on others. I can't count on what other people think, but I can always count on what God thinks. I discovered God loved me just the way I was, not because I was good, not because of my accomplishments, not even because of what I did for him. He loved me, period. That's our God. He created us in his image and he initiated a lifelong project, a personal project to perfect us. And I found that incredibly liberating. I kind of felt a little like the younger child and the prodigal son. I had left for the wilderness in Texas. I had squandered everything, my business reputation, money, my self-confidence. And while I didn't run home 
like the younger son, I stood in the presence of God in a hotel room night after night. He put one hand on my shoulder, the other on my back, and I felt loved. In my grief, I discovered God's grace. There's a beautiful quote in a book by uh, Julia Cameron that inspired me during this period. Whatever happens to me in life, I must believe that somewhere in the mess and madness of it all, there is a sacred potential, a possibility for wondrous redemption in the embracing of all that is. How do you embrace grief? How do you embrace difficulty? Well, during my last months at JCPenney, I embraced all that was. I flew above the clouds with God by my side. I was disappointed, never depressed. I was sad, but I wasn't angry. I grew through my grief, and God's presence moved from the hotel room at night to every moment of the day. On the outside, people thought I was hurting. On the inside, I was gaining strength. One of the great lessons I learned at J.C. Punney was actually how to love. I learned to love all of my haters. My favorite verse in the Bible has always been from Luke 10. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbors as yourself. I realized that my neighbors in Dallas included my employees, my board members, the investors and the press. It was hard to like them at times, but I learned how to love them. It was hard to like senior people on my team who kind of didn't tell me the truth every day. But I loved them, and I had empathy for them. They were just trying to protect their job for their families. It was hard to like the board members who doubted the strategy we had embarked upon. But they were doing their best to shepherd J.C. Penney as a company. So I loved them. It was hard to like the press who I thought were making things up, but now with fake news, I guess maybe they were. <laughs> but I love them because they too were doing their job, trying to be out front with the news. Like me, they were human. They were children of the same father. They were like my brother and sister, not like a colleague. Martin Luther King taught us to have an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. The love of God operated in the human heart. Dr. King said we love people not because we like them nor because they possess some divine spark. We love all human beings because God loves them too. God loves each of you. God turned my tear pools at JCPenney into a river of righteousness. And I encourage all of you who are suffering this morning to let him do this for you. Amen. I like that. I, I got an amen. That's good. It was from Michael who's kind of moving the podium around. Oh, was her. Lesson number five, uh, I shall not want. There was one question during my time at JCPenney that kept haunting me. Why did God send me on my own to JCPenney? Why did he let me make this awful decision from a career perspective? One evening, I was reading the 23rd Psalm, and I couldn't get back the, past the first sentence. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I was convicted. You see, I wanted to turn around JCPenney. Nobody else did. God had given me so much. 
at Target, at Apple, my family, my friends, my parents, but I wanted more. I wasn't satisfied. I think he finally looked at me and said, Ron, enough. You've had enough success. And I kind of realized my whole life I've never really been satisfied with what God has given me. I've always wanted just a little bit more. And I think God wanted me to appreciate and be grateful for the boundless gifts I've been given that he'd already poured out. That led me to the conclusion it wasn't right to try to put 100,000 employees through a transformation they didn't want to do. If they didn't have to do it, they shouldn't have to. So after a difficult year, I swallowed my pride and I offered to resign. And I said, if you want to go a U-turn, go ahead. After 15 short months, the board accepted my resignation. There was a little more press that was negative, but it didn't matter because my strength was now founded on God's love and grace and what the world thought didn't matter. I was cleansed of arrogance. I was cleansed of self. I had cleansed the desire to have a reputation and I had gained the gift of humility. And I did not want. My last day at JCPenney was actually one of the best days of my life. I was relieved, I was liberated, I was blessed, I was free, I was home. Lesson six. Thank you. Um, if you are, we're getting through this, so if you're blessed, be a blessing. I doubted I'd ever work again. I was 55. I think I'm now like 58 or not, 59. Um, I had reached kind of the top of my profession. I didn't have to work. So I decided to take a year and reflect. I began weekly meetings with two close friends. One is John Ortberg, who's the pastor at Menlo Park Press, where I've attended for nearly 40 years. Um, and another named Peter Stamos, who I went to school with. And I told them, despite all the challenges of the past 18 months, I do feel incredibly blessed. And they said, there's only one thing you can do. When you're blessed, be a blessing. So for the next 12 months, I said, I'm not going to do anything but be available to help. And if someone calls, that would be a surprise after my time at Penny's, <laughs> I would answer the call. Well, people felt so bad for me, I was getting like 10 calls an hour. <laughs> but I spent time mentoring like CEOs in the Valley and companies, and I discovered as I spent time with them, I really got energy being around young people trying to do great things. I was reminded when you apply God's values to your work, they truly make a difference. When I look back at my career, the more I honored God, the better the results. I thought again about making love visual. You know, that call to love your neighbors. That call to tend your garden. And I thought a lot about love. And how there's all kinds of love, but my favorite kind is agape, is when you help. And as I read the Bible and the New Testament, I was struck by when, how Jesus acted. When he saw hunger, he fed. When he saw sickness, he healed. When he saw hatred, he... Christ made love visual every day, every step along his path. And that's why I'm here to work. And suddenly when I saw someone helping a customer at the Genius Bar, 
I so love being made visual. When I saw an older employee mentoring a younger employee, I saw love being made visual. Even a beautiful store like that glass store at Stanford, it was love being made visual. How do you do love at work? You do it through culture, through kindness, through helping people. Once I understood that, I asked the question, what if I could start a new company that's goal was to make love visual? That's all it would do. And so 15 months after leaving JCPenney, I started a new company called Enjoy. So the next time you want a new iPhone, just pick Enjoy on the AT&T site, and we'll hand deliver it to you anywhere you want and set it up for free. We'll help you get up and running. That's how you make love visual. So while some people think we deliver consumer electronics, what we really do is deliver joy. We're trying to reimagine work in a mobile world, and what I like to say to deliver that a smart last mile with a smile. And God even let us name the company Enjoy. It was available. So I wake up every day now reporting to God. He's the chairman of my board. He's blessed me again. It feels to me kind of like the early days at Target, my best days at Apple. It might be the best work I ever do. I'm flourishing. But it doesn't matter because I wake up every day with this incredible sense of joy. I see the joy in my team. I work every day standing in the presence of God. And he guides me every step of the way. We're doing the right things. We're taking the right approach. We're tending our gardens. We're using our imaginations. We're securing the good of others. We're making love visual. And we're trying to experience and deliver joy every day. God is good. He's available to each of us. All you have to do is slow down and listen. Stand in his presence. Find some quiet space in your life and let God join you. As I look back, I'm thankful for so many things, but mainly for that huge ocean of tears I left on the hotel room floor in Dallas. I'm thankful for my grief, but most importantly, I'm thankful for God's grace. My prayer for each of you is you'll discover God's all-embracing love, a love that will meet you in your everyday moments, a love that will help you look beyond your grief, beyond your loss, beyond your illness, as Henri Naoun wrote, who will turn your mourning into dancing. My prayer is you use your imagination to create a new paradigm for your families, your lives, your friendships, your future. But most importantly, you will experience God's presence every day and flourish just as God designed you to do. Thank you.